You're listening to the Woman Unmasked podcast, where pretty fades to real as real women unmask their past and share valuable lessons to help you overcome your pain and own your truth. We are unashamed, unafraid. This is the Woman Unmasked podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Woman Unmasked podcast. My name is Latara Wise. I am your host, and I'm so glad that you have joined me today for another episode. Today's guest is Dr. Ketiana Howard. Dr. Ketiana Howard's primary goal in life is to help people discover their dreams and make those dreams a reality. She is the CEO of Loving Me Empowerment, where she's a leadership consultant and empowerment coach. She is also the founder of Pretty Brown Princess, which is a community organization for young girls of color age 5 to 12, where they are encouraged to love and embrace the skin they are in. While her greatest achievement is being called mom by her three children who she affectionately refers to as her heart, her soul, and her strength, she is also a motivational speaker, published author, and has been recognized in numerous publications such as Trendsetter to Trendsetter Magazine and Women's Movement Radio Network. Dr. Howard holds a Bachelor's of Arts in Broadcast Communication, a Master's in Marketing, and a Doctorate in Strategic Leadership from Regent University. So thank you so much, Dr. Howard, for joining us today. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, you you have a really interesting story, so I'm excited to get into this today. (laughs) And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of women who can relate, and I just know that there's going to be lots of good information coming out that's going to help someone from your source. I'm excited. Definitely. Before we jump into things, just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and a little background on you before we jump into the meat of the story. Oh, yes. All the exciting exciting (laughs) stuff. So um, I'm Kitiana Howard, and I live in Columbus, Ohio with my three amazing children. I've got a um, senior in high school, a second grader, and a 15-month-old. Um, who keep me extremely busy. I work full-time, in addition to having my own business, having love and the empowerment. Um, I do work full-time outside the home, and I am actually in school as well. So I'm finishing my last year of my doctoral program, so May 2018. Both my son and I graduate one week apart from each other. Awesome. Um, Yeah, I know, right? I'll be getting my doctorate in strategic leadership. Um, so I stay extremely, extremely busy between the children and work and the business, but I still figure out a way somehow to get it all done, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's a lot going on. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we, we tend to just adapt to. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're exactly correct. So I want to go back to kind of the, well, not necessarily the beginning, but to the point of your story that where you where you brought me in, and that is becoming a single mother in your sophomore year of college. Yeah. Yeah. As a 21 year old woman. Yep. So um, I was, I think, as far as the story is that I know, I was the first one on my mother's side of the family to have a child out of wedlock. My, yeah. So <laughs> my upbringing, I think it's so funny because I would, after I had my oldest, I would run into people in the grocery stores from high school and they say, oh, is that, that your little brother? And I'm like, no, it's my son. Oh, you got married? No. 
you, you had a baby, you didn't give me, I must have been like voted least likely to have a child out of wedlock, I think, in high school. <laughs> but um, so my sophomore year of college, at the age of 21, I had my son and I thought that that meant the world was over. You know, I was like, oh, so much for college, um, welcome to Walmart, you know, it, this is it. Is there's nothing else to do. There's nothing else I can do with my life. And I'm so thankful that I had a dean of students, um, Daryl Peel, at the time, uh, down, and I was like, I think why don't you drop out? He was like, why? I said, well, I just found out I'm pregnant. He's like, and what's that mean? And I'm like, doesn't that mean that I can't complete, you know, can't go to college? I was the first one in my circle of friends to have a child, you know, so I, I never experienced that lifestyle. And he said, absolutely not. He said, if nothing else, this means that you do stay in college and you keep pushing and you keep pushing even harder. And um, because of him and people that my mother surrounded me with and different people that I met along the way and being a single mom, I've gotten my bachelor's, my master's, and now my doctorate degree. And I keep pushing if for no other reason, because I believe that I'm leaving no excuse for my children. There's Nothing that they can say could happen that would give them the right to not follow their dreams and pursue their passions. If I can do all of this and it's just me in many ways, then you can accomplish all that your heart desires as well. Yes. And having been raised by a single mother for most of my school years, I definitely get that drive and get that push that comes from a mother trying to do and be everything and prove that you can do anything. Right. Right. So I I love that. So how did your family react? You said you were the only person, or as far Mm -hmm. as you know, the only person to have a child out of wedlock. Like, how did that go over? It did not go over very well at all. I can remember, it's funny. I can remember my grandmother, um, when I told her, my grandmother and I were you know, super, super tight and had a, a wonderful relationship when she was living. And she said that she already knew, you know, and I'm like, grandmothers always say that, but she yes. said she already knew. And she never really said anything really about it until I think probably after he was born. And it was just in a sidebar conversation. She said, you know, we love Isaiah. You know, we couldn't imagine not having Isaiah. We don't want to do this again, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am, duly noted. Um, but no, it did not go over very well at all with my family. Not at all. <laughs> but I would say I, uh, I was so afraid to, to share. And I can remember, I can remember the day that I told my mom that I was pregnant or that I thought I was pregnant and she was so calm and it scared the crap out of me. Like, why is she so calm? And she said, go across the street to Kroger and get a test. And I'm like, that's it? Like, that's all you're going to say? She's like, go, go get a test. And I went across the street to Kroger. And at that time, the um, pregnancy tests were at the pharmacy. You had to actually ask the pharmacist for the pregnancy test. And so then it was embarrassing all over again because I'm like, I got to ask this man for this pregnancy test, you know? Mm-hmm. So I asked him. And he's like, well, which one do you want? Like, I don't know. There are options. You know, I was like, not the cheapest you have, but not the most expensive you have, because I want to make sure it's a good one. Like, I had no clue at all. And I took the test, and it came back just like that. You know, there were no questions, and it was Easter Sunday, actually, the day I took the test. It was Easter Sunday (laughs) after church. 
So it was definitely, it was definitely interesting. But through all that I went through with that pregnancy and things like that, my family was definitely there for me. You know, they, I'm sure they had their own thoughts in their own minds. I'm sure they were definitely disappointed. And it wasn't the, the lifestyle they wanted for me, um, especially growing up in a single parent home. My mom internalized a lot of it. You know, what did I do wrong? Mm. Where did I go wrong? I thought that you would have realized how much of a struggle it was for me to do this. Why would you do this again? And I had to like be really honest with her and say, um, yes, I wasn't thinking about those things when it happened. Yeah. Like that was the furthest thing <laughs> from my mind at the time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, this isn't your fault. Like I really had to tell her, like I made the decisions and these are the consequences for the decisions that I made. You did nothing wrong to put me in this situation. But that being said, I was telling somebody earlier today, I said, there's not anything I can really think of that has happened in my life that I would truly say that I regret. Um, there's some things I think were probably not the best decisions that I made, yeah. but they all in all, God worked them out. And I truly believe that I am the person that I am now because um, of the life that I have lived, because of you know having my son at 21. I was already focused as far as school was concerned and things like that, but I became even more laser focused mm. um, on making sure that I did the things that needed to be done. I pushed myself to finish school because deep down I was afraid that one day he would get to a grade in school and ask a question and need help for homework and I wouldn't know the answer because I hadn't finished college. Now, I didn't realize the reality is that I wasn't going to know the answers anyway and that's why we have Google. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but that was my driving force. Like I can't quit because Isaiah's going to need to know an answer. I'm not going to know it because I didn't finish college. So, but um, he is, I, I affectionately refer to him um, on social media as my hashtag my heart. And uh, he is like the driving force when I wanted to quit, you know, being in school now, he'll come to me and says, you know, mom, what do we, what do you say about quitters? And I'm like, we don't raise any quitters. He's like, exactly. So quitting's not an option. So what can we need, you know, what can we do to get this done? He's um, one of my biggest, biggest cheerleaders. It's funny because we were clearing off some stuff from um, one of the bookshelves a couple weeks ago and I was taking off, you know, my degrees and diplomas and accommodations and accolades from the city about different things and stuff like that. And he says, you know, mom, do you realize you're kind of a big deal? And I kind of looked out of my checkbook. I was like, no, actually, I don't. Like, even though I was looking at all of those things that I've mm -hmm. accomplished, I said, you know, I don't know if it's that I forget or that I don't think that these are as great as they are or what it is. I said, but maybe it's because I feel like I still haven't accomplished so much. I was like, but no, many times I don't think about all of the things that I've accomplished. He's like, you're really awesome. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, thank you. So yeah, that's, that's I guess what life is like having, um, having a son at 21, but it was really because of the village, the women that my mom surrounded me with, the people who were in my life who really helped to push me to let me know that quitting was not an option. Having that village around is such an important thing. I mm -hmm. had my first daughter at 20 and well, my first child, only daughter, but uh, when I was 20 and, you know, having that family support, we are in a small town. So my husband's family and mm -hmm. my family are all in the same area and that village, okay, even with, even with, um, us being a couple and raising a child was so important. So I can only imagine how much more 
important it was to have them there and know that you had their support, even though it may not have been the, the choice that they would have right. made for you to know that you had their support had to be a great thing. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. And even over the years, so I had him at 21, I had my daughter at 30 and then the last one I had at 37 was still that, that village support. It comes in so many different ways. And, and truly I, I would say it's, it's what has carried me through the good and the bad times of just parenting and just life, just life in general, you know, mm-hmm. not as easy as, as, you know, I envisioned life was going to be as a grown up, being a grown up. Yeah, it never is. <laughs> you know? Like nobody told me it was going to be like this. <laughs> yeah. If they did, I would have stayed a child. <laughs> yep, exactly. Either that or we probably wouldn't have believed them anyway. But yes. True. True. Would have been worth a shot. So you mentioned that you have three children and you have three very different co-parenting relationships with their, with their fathers. And I kind of want to talk about that because I think you cover all the bases (laughs) in here, uh, which is, I mean, which is, you know, a good thing. Um, I think, you know, like you said, God, God does those things for a reason. So just having that as part of your story, I think enables you to touch so many different people. So um, can you just talk about that a little bit? I do. So I have one who, try to figure out the tactful way to say, I have one where the relationship is not what I would like the relationship to be, but the relationship is what it is mm-hmm. um, in terms of the, the child-parent relationship, not talking about me and him, but the mm-hmm. child-parent relationship. It has never been what I've wanted it to be, but it is what it is. And I've kind of come to terms with that. I have one where it's 100% me, um, no involvement from the other parents at all. And then I have one that where we have a really good parent, uh, co-parenting relationship, but co-parenting is hard work. And there's some days where I wish <laughs> that all of them were gone and it was just me. <laughs> and then there's other days I wish all of them were just like the one that co-parents. But I, I truly understand like all sides of that, you know, I, I, I get the one where it's like, um, even in co-parenting, it's great that you have somebody that's there that helps with the child that, you know, can help if you need to travel or to just, you know, will send a message, hey, how are you doing? Or how's the child doing? Um, helps financially, different things like that. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have that family, so to speak. But because I've done it my way for so long, there's, there are many days where that kind of gets irritating as well. It's like, why are you on my face? Go mm. away. Like, why are you texting me again? Go, 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 go away. Um, but I'm glad that he doesn't, you know? Mm. I'm glad he doesn't just go away, regardless of how I may act or things that I may say or, or things like that, because he knows that his involvement is important for the child's well-being regardless of our decisions, um, you know, not to be together. But I tell people all the time, I, um, I do a lot of work with single moms and things like that. And I said, you know, as a single mom uh, or a mom who's parenting alone, mm-hmm. we oftentimes say, I wish my child's father would do X, Y, and Z. But the reality is that there are a lot of luxuries in parenting by yourself. There's a lot of things that are absolutely horrible about parenting by yourself. But the fact that you can make decisions and it's just your decisions to make and that side is great. But the fact that you are making decisions and it's just your decision to make and you don't have anybody to bounce that off of or to 
ask for assistance when, you know, you're going through things with a child or if the child's on your last nerve or you just need a break. You don't have those sides. I definitely have, I don't know what other parenting options there are out there that I don't, <laughs> that I don't have in my three children. But I could, I could definitely relate to that as well. You know, just my, I have two other siblings that I grew up with in the house. I have one other sibling that grew up with his mother, but our, our situations are so similar to yours. So I can definitely relate. And I know that there were times growing up because my sister's father was around and active, maybe not as much as um, he probably wanted to be, but he was pretty much a constant in our lives. And I remember, you know, kind of feeling feelings of, well, why don't I have that? So has that ever come up with your children and how do you deal with that? It has. Um, so my daughter is the one who does not have her father at all. And it has been, and that's my seven-year-old, and it's been extremely challenging for her. Even these past two, three years have been extremely rough because she sees her brothers going with their dad. She hears them you know, talking about their dad, or I may mention something, you know, ask your dad, X and Z, or, or, you know, the baby's going with his dad, or whatever the case may be, and she does, she, she really struggles with that, um, and it bounces between either, you know, well, my dad may not come, but I know he still loves me, he's a great person, you know, and I'm, and I don't negate any of that, but, you know, honey, I, I would never say that your dad doesn't love you, I will say that he's not making the best choice right now, and it goes from that, to either, you know, he doesn't love me, he doesn't care, um, you know, and even quite honestly, what did I do wrong? And I'm just, it, it, it breaks my heart for my seven-year-old, for my baby to be having these feelings and these thoughts and this turmoil. I can remember when she was probably three or four, she woke up in, in the middle of the night crying profusely for her daddy. And at that point, she hadn't seen him since she was three months old. So to her, she had never seen him. But she yearns for this man that she does not know. And it's really hard for me as a mom not to beat up on myself because going back to that statement I made earlier, I made that decision. And while the decision not to stay in that relationship was the best one for the health and safety of myself my son, and at that time, my unborn daughter, so it was a good decision to make in order for us to be safe. There's still negative consequences as a result. And I can't share with a seven-year-old why I made those decisions, but I know that those decisions are the best ones. I used to hope that, you know, he would have a change of heart and that he would become the dad that he's supposed to be and that my daughter deserves. But I also believe that sometimes God just uses people as a vessel. And his purpose may have only been to help get her here. And instead, God has something else in mind for her. And so I surround her with positive men who love her and care about her and things like that. But at the end of the day, she still knows that those aren't her daddy. And um, our church does a daddy-daughter dance every year. And she went, she's seven, she went at, I think, four and five with a couple of my friends' husbands. Um, like, they had been looking forward to taking her. Mm. And at some point in the dance, both years that she went, 
like she just got so sad and so like crying and upset and just it was not a good experience so when she was six I didn't have her go and conveniently she had a dance recital that same weekend so you know I didn't tell her she wasn't going but it's just like oh well you've got the dance recital but this year I had her go but she went with her big brother Hmm. and people that were there sent me pictures and sent me videos and she had the best time with him and she came home and she said you know what mommy she said I think I had more fun with Isaiah than I would have had even if my real dad had taken me and that was a relief in one in one side but it still was a pain for me because here I am with a daughter who who has a void that and and I I know what that feels like because my dad and I have an amazing relationship now but it was not what it is now when I was growing up. So I know kind of what that feels like to have that void and to wonder if it was something that you did as the reason why, you know, daddy is not there for me now and things like that. And I don't want, I don't blame my father at all for any choices I made in life, but I don't want my daughter to make mistakes in life or to make decisions in life. I won't call them mistakes, but make decisions in life just because of the fact that she's seeking a man's attention. And so I've began to put some things, make some decisions to put some things in place to help to remedy that for her by moving a little closer to my dad. So she has, it may not be her dad, but at least it's her grandpa opposed Mm -hmm. to sharing this man, you know, sharing um, one of my friend's husbands, you know, with him and, you know, he has his own kids, that kind of thing. But to try to remedy some of those things with her, I've got a whiteboard hanging in my bedroom of different business ideas and book ideas and things like that. And one of the ideas is written on here. It says, dear daughter, it's not your fault. And I want to write a book to let girls know that the decisions that their parents have made is not, it's not their fault. And whether they read the book and it makes sense and they get it, or whether it's just a matter of putting it out there for my own daughter, mm-hmm. um, I feel that she needs to know as she gets older, because I feel that as a child growing up in that life, you still always have that thought in the back of your head. And my parents got divorced when I was 18 months old. So I'm like, what could I have done at 18? The, the adult in me knows what could I have done at 18 months old that resulted in my parents being divorced. Absolutely nothing. But in the back of my head, there's still that, that question. And so it's very, very hard to look at my daughter. And um, like I said, if, if nothing else, not to beat myself up because of those choices that I made. And I have my meltdown. Um, I had one a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I had one a couple of weeks ago. And um, it was funny because my oldest was right there and he was just like, you know, like he just took my, <laughs> he took his hands and put them on both my shoulders. And he was like, I'm sorry to be so blunt right now, but stop it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, stop it right now. He said, uh, because I was, I was definitely I was in my feelings and you know, I should have never made those decisions. I should have never done this. I should have never done that. He was like, and if you had done those things, we would never have riot. And I'm like, okay, the rational side of me knows that. Like, I get it, but I'm having a moment right now. And he's like, <laughs> stop having your moment. Because one, you can't change the past. And two, we are better because she is here. He was like, as much as she may get on my last nerve, we're still better that she's here than if she were not. And it's leaning upon going back to that initial conversation is leaning upon my village 
um, you know, my, my friends and family and things like that when I'm having those moments, uh, making sure that I'm surrounded with people who uplift and encourage me and allow me to have my downtime, but don't allow me to stay in those moments. And that's really what carries me. It's like, it's okay to have that moment in that moment. And instead, we're going to pick up our big girl pants and keep on pushing, you know? And I think that's a less, an excellent lesson just for people in general to to remember that you can have that moment, but yeah. let it only be a moment. Right. Don't let it carry right. over. You can't get stuck there. Yes. Exactly. And it's interesting that your son is the one who is able to speak into you um, and, you know, reassure you and bring you back to that place of remembering, okay, you're doing a great job. Right. And, you know, even though we don't know the plans that God has for us and for our Mm -hmm. children, we, you know, he knew that you would need that strength of your son. Exactly. And it's so funny because I've always been a planner. And so as a young adult, I found a Bible that I had when I was a teen and I had a piece of paper in there and I had written out the number of children I wanted and their birth order and their names and all this kind of stuff. And I wanted, at the time I wanted five children, my (laughs) oldest and my youngest were going to be boys and my daughters were going to be in the middle. And I remember I wanted that because I always wanted my daughters to have that older brother to protect them and things like that. And I I do, I firmly believe that God gives you what you need when you need it. And while I'm sure it was not in his idea plan for me to have a child, you know, at 21, Mm -hmm. um, but he knew that I needed Isaiah first because Isaiah's personality and his demeanor is in such a way that, um, like he was, it was perfect for that moment of being in school. You know, I, I would have every blue moon, if I had to bring him to class or something like that, I mean, he would sit in the corner and play with his toys. And he would never know he was there. My daughter, when she was little, you would always know she was there. So <laughs> that would have never worked, never worked at all. But with my daughter, um, so I said that my oldest, I refer to as my heart. My daughter, I refer to as my soul. And prior to having her, I was very guarded, probably very mad. People only knew what was going on with me if I wanted them to know. Mm -hmm. Something about having her and that extra dose of estrogen in my body that she left uh, once I had her, like I can't hide anything at all. And it drives me crazy. I'm like, I cry and I hate crying. Um, (laughs) You know, I've got like some Facebook live videos I've done for my business about um, like my newest book and things like that. I've cried on those. I'm like, I hate the fact that I'm crying, but I can't stop crying. This is just stupid. <laughs> but in having her, it allowed, it taught me to slow down life. And so whereas with my oldest, we were always go, 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 go. I was in different meetings and we would eat on the fly and things like that. With my daughter, we would sit down and have dinner as a family. And that it became very important to me. And, um, now that I'm in school and traveling and different things business-wise, it's been a big challenge to her because it's different from what she's been accustomed to the past six years. You know, she's used to sitting down. Mommy is home every single night. You know, she might be gone once or twice a year, whereas recently I've been gone every month since July. And so it's been a big challenge for her, but she has been the one to attach me to my feelings and let me know it's okay to feel. And then my youngest, 
who I had while I was in the doctoral program, I call him my strength. And he has taught me what it means to be strong. And that was even through some of the challenges that I went through in my pregnancy and even struggling with the idea of being a student and having this baby and all the stuff that went in that situation, like how strong I can be. So I definitely believe that God gives you what you need, not necessarily what you want to help you in life. Yes. And even bringing that back to your daughter, uh, one of the things that I have learned in you know recent years, it took me until 34, 35 to learn, but that sometimes a person's absence is more important to your purpose and to your life and to God's plan for you than their presence. So true. That's so true. And that's a lesson that we get, like you said, we get as an adult that we can't see. And I think we even go through that as adults. You know, yes. <laughs> like we don't realize the fact like, ah, that's why you left. Okay, good. You know, but when we're going through it, it's like, no, come back. Why are you leaving me? So it, it, it's life lessons are, are hard sometimes. They are, but once you get it, it's, it, it's so worth it. Exactly. Once you find I agree. I agree, definitely. And so I want to talk about, you said that during that time uh, before your daughter, you felt like you were masking your feelings. How did you present mm-hmm. yourself to others? Let me tell it I was good. Let everybody else tell it I, was, I wasn't. Um, <laughs> I, um, I definitely lived with probably like a tough exterior, but I didn't think that I did. I think people perceived me in in a certain manner and they thought that I was type that, you know, I wouldn't put up with any mess and, you know, I would never have been in a relationship where the way that I, you know, expected to be treated and different things like that, because it was like this air that I put on uh, when in reality, like I wasn't making the right choices at all when it, when it came to men, you know, I was putting up with all sorts of stuff and sitting there questioning like, why in the world am I still here in this situation? But, um, I think even in going through some of those things, I built a wall around my heart and even in some ways around my mind Mm -hmm. um, where I didn't want to allow people to in. And and that was male or female. I can remember I had um, a meeting with my pastor several years ago and I remember he said to me, he said, I want you to make some new friends. And I I looked him right in his eyes and he's like a dad to me. I said, dad, I don't want to. He just kind of laughed. (laughs) I was like, I said, I don't need a new friend. I'm good. And he was like, okay. And it was so funny because after that, I was talking with one of my friends the other day about how long we have been friends. And I said, and it was after that moment that I began to see new friendships, healthy female friendships coming in my life. And I was fighting them tooth and nail. Like I didn't want to let anybody in. I didn't want to trust anyone. I didn't like asking people for things because that gave them the option of saying no. I just, I knew that I trusted me, myself, and I, and, you know, and and outside of that, you know, my family, a little bit type deal, and not even a whole lot in some ways. I felt that I just had to do things by myself. And it wasn't that anybody necessarily said that I had to do it by myself, but I don't know if it was just the cross I felt I had to carry because of my choices or just, you know, life had given me a bunch of lemons. And so I was like, let me figure out how to deal with all this crap that I've that I'm dealing with. And so I, I did, I, I had a very, very tough exterior. Nobody knew if, you know, something was going on in my life or if I was upset about something. I 
grew to um, when I was pregnant with my daughter before those emotions really hit, was very, very depressed. And at least I thought I was masking that very well. But as I'm finding out, I wasn't masking as well as I thought. Mm. Um, But just, I think if nothing else, I was realizing that I had made decisions and it wasn't even about disappointing anybody else, but I was disappointing myself. And, but I really couldn't figure out how to stop making those same kind of decisions. Mm. Um, I think that's it. I couldn't, maybe I wasn't strong enough to stop making those same decisions that were leading me in those same paths. And so I, but I didn't want people to know that side of me, but I was never a hypocrite. So I was never the one to say, oh, you shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. Meanwhile, I was doing it. Like I was honest with myself. If you ask, if you ask, I would tell you. But if you didn't ask, you weren't going to know. Those that were closest to me knew about my dirt. Those that assumed I wasn't doing dirt just didn't know I was doing any dirt. <laughs> I think that's kind of how it, how it played out. But definitely, I was definitely living with a mask, living behind a mask for many years and thought that it was okay to do so just because I wanted to keep people at a distance. Mm. And so when your daughter was born and you started to kind of remove that mask and peel back those layers and start to feel those emotions that you tried to suppress, how did that play out for you? How did, what did that change about you? I hated it. (laughs) I did. I fought it tooth and nail. And in some ways, while I know it's important not to wear a mask, I still, I still don't like it. It's, not that I don't like it. It's, it can be very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years back, probably three years or three or four years ago, it was whatever month Domestic Violence Awareness Month is. I can't think of what month that is off the top of my head. But somebody had posted on Facebook, you know, if you had a story to share and we're interested in sharing your story, she was doing some blog posts about people sharing their story. Mm-hmm. And I took a step out to share my story and it took everything in me. Writing it was very therapeutic. Submitting it was completely different. And even after submitting it, I think that oftentimes we wear the mask because we're afraid of what people are going to think. And like I said, I knew that people were like, oh, you know, you're such, you're so intelligent and you're so strong and you're so this and you're so that. How could you have ended up in this type of a situation? And I had had those same thoughts to myself. I'm so intelligent and I'm so smart and I'm, I'm so strong. And how could I have ended up in this type of situation? But I shared my story with her audience and for the very first time and people read it. And it wasn't even about outside people reading it. Like I could have cared less about that because they didn't really know me. Mm-hmm. But it was the fact that people who knew me knew what I had gone through and by sharing that and, and and even in sharing the story the piece that I shared it was really telling women that um like watch out for those red flags because even though he, he never physically put his hands on me he almost did and I was carrying his child and having to make the decision to decide that that was not the relationship that I wanted to be in and knowing that that meant that I was going to be raising another child as a single parent and what is that going to look like you know after all we were engaged and I was planning a wedding and you know what are people at the church going to think because now I'm pregnant I was already pregnant and not married and then now I'm pregnant 
not married and we're not together. But I didn't want to tell everybody why we weren't together and, you know, just what all that stuff was going to look like. And now here it was out in the open. And the response that I got from so many people was so heartwarming because some of the folks were going through similar situations and were questioning themselves in those same manners. You know, how did I end up here? And how do I get out of this situation? And I know that in getting out of that situation, it was nothing but God because, you know, he's significantly taller than I am. He's bigger than I am. He's a fifth degree black belt. And, you know, I'm 5'2", like 100, and at that time, probably like 125, 130, you know. And I'm like, how could I tell this man that he has to leave my home? And I remember calling my dad, and I surely wasn't going to tell my dad why I didn't want the relationship anymore because I didn't want him and my brothers and my uncles, you know, mm-hmm. coming up, coming into town. But I remember talking to my dad one day and I said, I said, I don't think this is what I want, but I don't know if it's the right decision to make. Like, even at that point, I was still questioning, should I just stay? You know, I, I had heard people talk about, you know, relationships aren't always, they're not always great. You know, you have good times, you have bad times. And, and, you know, maybe this was just one of those bad times. I'm like, this can't, this can't be it. But making that decision to put myself out there was the first step, I think, in, in removing my mask and allowing God to begin to heal me, not just from that, but from feeling like I had to protect myself or guard myself from everyone. And then it, would just, it just kind of like spilled over from there, you know, with just being open and honest and transparent with people and, you know, like crying during praise and worship and just all sorts of stuff and my friends around me who are already criers like they loved it you know they're like oh this is great you're crying again like shut up I hate this like this is stupid (laughs) why am I crying again like how do you guys do this all the time I'm always crying but it's been over the years it's been very therapeutic and I guess recognizing the fact that it's okay to have these feelings it's okay not to always have to be strong. It's okay to depend on somebody else. It's okay to lean on somebody else. Yes. Um, that you don't have to do it by yourself all the time. And that's really what I've learned through this process. And that's such an important lesson to learn. I don't know what it is that just, I guess, gets ingrained in our DNA, like that mm-hmm. women have to carry right. the weight of Everything. the world. Yes. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from in us, but it's it's just something that's so woven into the fabric of who we are as women that it's hard to to break free from that. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. how how did you get to that place past all the tears? <laughs> how did you get to that place where you know you you were able to just start to release things and know that you don't have to carry everything? I, it's definitely a process, and it's an ongoing process. It's one of those things where it's like. You think you've arrived and then something happens and you're like, oh shoot, you yeah, know, I haven't arrived yet. Like back to the drawing board, <laughs> you know, I thought I was over that thing, but yeah, there's still something in there. But honestly, for me, it's been my faith, my faith and my friends, because I've had to say like, God, you got to deal with this because my mind, I'm, like I said, I'm a list maker. I can be very analytical. I'm, I'm a fixer, you know, like you have an issue, give me your issue. I will solve it. Um, I'm like Olivia Pope is handled, you know, (laughs) and these are things that I've gone through where I'm like, I don't have an answer. Like I've racked my brain all night long and I still got nothing. My back is up against the wall. I can't figure out any way to resolve the situation. So God, I guess 
on you, buddy. And I'm sure he's sitting there like, yep, I was waiting for you to say that. You know, <laughs> like, but, but he knows me and he loves me. And so yeah. he knows I'm going to try to go through these things in my mind. He's just like, I'll just sit here and wait till you're ready. But really, it's been turning things over to him and remembering that I have to constantly turn things over to him. Because like I said, it's not a one-time thing. And it's being honest and transparent with my friendships. Some of my friends that I have are older than I am, and they've lived this life that I'm living. You know, a couple of them, they're married now. They've been married for several years, but they lived the life of a single mom. And so it's great because I can go to them and I can have conversations and they get it because they've been there or they're just a good sounding board or they're just the type that, you know, when you say like, I'm going through some crap right now and they say like, they're going to pray, like they don't just, it's not just lip service, you know, they actually do it Um, or they just have sound advice or sometimes they're just there to let you know that they're there for you. And, um, For me, sometimes that's all I need is to know that I'm not by myself. And I think it's been like my pregnancies have been what God has used to really show me that I'm not in the journey alone Mm -hmm. because each one, there's been people that have been um, around me that have reminded me that you're not on this journey by yourself. Like we are here in the trenches right along with you to help you execute this life. And, and that's really, I think, what carries me through it all. And so how do you take those lessons that you've learned and how do you use those now in your business and in reaching other single mothers and other women who have gone through the things that you've, you've gone through? Um, for me, really, it's all about sharing that big, huge mass I was so, so afraid to use, but being willing to share my story and one of my friends sent me a message on Facebook a couple of years ago or via text message, I think, a couple of years ago. And that was pretty much what the message was about was that all the things that I've gone through was not just for me to go through them, but for me to be willing to share with other people. And I can remember when I first started, my first business was a nonprofit organization for single moms. And I was at a meeting for some local organization and the gentleman was sharing his story as to how he got started with his business. And he said that he had had a dream and in the dream he had developed a cure for cancer or something like that. And, but instead of sharing that with the world and healing people with cancer, he held that to himself. And so when he woke up, he like had a thought, he said, you know, how would I feel if I had had the cure for cancer? And I didn't do anything with it. Like I didn't heal anybody. I just kept it. And I just sat there and watched all these people die. And I could have helped them. And I've taken that thought process and applied it. I've gone through some stuff and I still am going through some stuff and I will go through some stuff. And why, who am I to go through these things and not be willing to share? And I tell people all the time, I preface this, that I don't have all the answers by any stretch of the imagination, but I got a few that might work, um, you know, or if nothing else, Sometimes it's not even that you're looking for somebody to give you answers, Mm -hmm. but sometimes you just need to know that you're not on that journey alone, that there's somebody else who understands what you're going through. And that's really my motivation for sharing all that I do is if for no other reason to let people know that they are not in this life by themselves, there's somebody else who gets it. And um, I oftentimes tell God, you know, I don't have to live every experience for me to be able to share with others that I'm here for them. 
I've lived enough of those, yes. you know, <laughs> but <laughs> thanks, but no, thanks God. But that's really what it's all about for me is I feel that God is using me to be a difference maker in other people's lives. And if for no other reason to be able to help somebody else on their journey, I'm willing to share mine. And so your workshop, Empowered Beyond the Mass, where you, yes. where, you know, you know, you don't really think about the people who are in the empowerment industry. You know, you don't really think about what they go home to and what they take home with them after they've helped everyone else release and deal with, right. deal with their emotions and get their breakthrough. You don't really think about the weight that falls on them. So yeah. I think that, so I think that it's such a needed and necessary workshop that you do. So can you talk a little bit about that? Um, that's exactly what it is. So it's for anybody that's in what I call, and I'll put that in quotes, the empowerment industry. And I use that term very loosely because to me, that's not just your life coaches and your consultants and, and things like that, but it's your pastors, it's your beauticians. You know, I think about you go to the beauty shop and you tell that girl everything, you know, she knows all the business, but there's so many things that we go through that we don't realize that we're carrying that weight and we're, um, we're carrying the weight of our own world on our shoulders. And then we're carrying the weight of everybody else's world on our shoulders as well. And so empowering beyond the mask is really the opportunity to remind people in that industry that it's important for us to take our mask off. One, because it helps us. And then two, because it also helps those who we serve. If we are willing, you know, and that doesn't mean that if your client comes to you and tells you something that, you know, you break down the tears right along with them. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that you air all your dirty laundry and your client even, can't even tell them, they can't even tell you what's going on in their life. And you're like, girl, but let me tell you about my life. <laughs> like, it doesn't even mean all of that. Yes. But by letting people know that, like, that you're human mm-hmm. and that you go through stuff too, that can be very, very helpful to them. And I remember seeing, I don't even know who it was, someone talk about the release for speakers and things. And, and like you said, making sure that you're not just dumping on the people that you're you're there to help, but it is important to let them know that they're not alone in in what they're going through. So how do you find that balance? So I think the only way that you can truly find that balance between what do you tell your clients versus what don't you tell your clients is, and from back to that village, um, you've got to have your safe place. You have to have your place where you can truly just like lay it all down and say, girl, let me tell you what happened because that's healing for you. And then once you've done that, then you can pick and choose the pieces that need to be shared. And so with your, with your, in your safe place, um, that's one of the things we talk about in that, in the workshop is having that safe place. So in your safe place, it's, you know, this, 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 this is going on. Now, Lord, I don't know what to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm stuck in this moment, you know, that kind of thing. And that's, that's where you've got your people who allow you to be in your moment but don't allow you to stay in your moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when it comes to working with your client, it's, you know what? You're not alone in this. I've dealt with some of the same things. Let me tell you about a situation that has happened to me. But because of the fact that you've had that chance to unload that in your safe place, you're at a better place emotionally to share it without all of the emotion. And that doesn't mean that you may not get teary-eyed depending on what you're talking about or things like that. 
but you're not at least they clients. You know, your client's not questioning whether they should be, whether you need to be the client and they should be helping you out. Um, <laughs> but instead they realize, like I said, that they're not alone. And sometimes it's just enough. When you're going through something, sometimes it feels like you're the only one in the world who's going through that thing. Even though in reality you realize, like, in all the people in the world, I can't be the only person going through this. But you can't see the forest for the trees. And you're just mm-hmm. like, oh, my gosh, the world is coming to an end tomorrow. And you can't see that, you know, the person sitting two people over from you feels the world's coming to an end tomorrow, too. But when you have that chance to have that conversation with each other, you realize, like, all right, I'm not alone in these thoughts. The world's not coming to an end tomorrow. And so as a coach or a counselor or petition or whatever the case may be, whatever your thing is, by having that chance to lay that weight to the side first and empty yourself first, then not only can you share, but you can also help your client in um, developing what their answer is or what that potential solution is. Or just like I said, lending ear and letting them know that they're not alone. When I ask people about, you know, who are, who are single moms or who are young single moms, I can say I've been there. And mm-hmm. while it may seem like it's the end of the world, I can say it's not the end of the world. Are days you're going to want to give up and quit? Definitely. But just keep pushing. But because I've lived that, I can help somebody else who's going through that. Speaking of helping women who have gone through, um, similar situations to your own. You mentioned your new book, and I want to talk a little bit about that, that you're a part of, and it's called Unchain Me Mama, Lessons Learned on My Journey to Healing and Restoration. So can you tell us a little bit about um, kind of what what the book is about and your contribution to that? Yep. So we always talk, and we talked a little bit about this in the beginning, we always talk about daddy issues and what having a dad or not having a dad does to a child and especially to a daughter. One thing we don't talk about is mommy issues because our moms usually are always there. But even in being there, there's some stuff they don't always quite get right. And that stuff that they don't quite get right, it still affects us. Um, But we don't talk about it. We sweep that underneath the carpet real, real, real tight. But Unchainy Mama is the story of eight women as we share our stories to... um, healing and wholeness and restoration as it pertains to the relationships with our mom. And for my part of the story, I, I shared that, um, like growing up, my mother and I had a great relationship, you know, um, she was what I probably would have referred to as my best friend for years. Um, but as an adult, our relationship definitely went through, um, some big, I don't even think bumps and bruises is big enough to, to talk and to show for what we went through. And I think because of how great our relationship was, it was really hard for me to adapt to what our relationship grew to become um, because it wasn't great at all. Um, and honestly, for me in writing Unchain Me Mama, um, I did not know like, I did not tell my mom, I told my mom that I was writing another book, um, but I did not tell her what it was about. And I wrote my chapter and I submitted it to the publisher. And it wasn't until they had um, sent it back for a few edits and things like that. And I had to send final revisions that I was just like, man, I'm gonna have to tell her about this book before it gets published and goes out to the world. And once again, not because I was afraid about what you would think about it, because you don't know my mama. 
I was afraid about what my mom's friends would think because they know my mom or what my mom would think because now I've put her business out there in the street and how would she feel about that? Um, and I could not figure out how to tell her what I was doing. Um, and the girl in me, the little girl in me was afraid of how she would respond. Um, but one of the pieces that I talk about in my chapter is, you know, making that decision that um, whatever route you're going to take, it is what it is, and being confident in that decision, um, and knowing that you've done all that you can um, to resolve those issues and things like that. And so I um, had a conversation with my mom. I think she happened to be over. I said, you know what, I'm going to send you an email later today or tomorrow. I know you don't check the emails too often. Just you get a second, just read the email. And she was like, okay. And I kind of resolved to myself that I was going to send my chapter to her and whatever happened, happened. If she totally disowned me, she totally disowned me. If she didn't, she didn't because I knew that my story had to be shared. And um, my mom never checks her emails. And I sent it and I'm like, I don't know if she's going to read it today. I don't know if she's going to read it next week. I don't know if she's never going to read it. <laughs> It's going to end up in her 3,000 emails that are sitting in her inbox. <laughs> but probably about 10, 15 minutes later, she calls me. And um, she simply said, I get it. Like, I get it. And it was funny to me because I did not feel that I wrote anything um, hugely profound in the chapter, nothing that I had not already told her before. You know, I'm like, we've had these conversations for years. Like, But I think it was. You know how when you read something, how you can hear the writer's voice? Yes. I think it was, it was that. Um, and so in reading Unchain Me Mama started the um, healing and restoration of our relationship. Um, does she still get on my nerves? Yes. Do <laughs> I still get on hers? I sure do. Um, you know, do we still have our ups and downs? Mm-hmm. We sure do. But... I think we're in a better starting place now than we were prior to. Um, and it's funny because in the chapter, I even say, I was like, I went back and read everything I wrote, and I surely don't. I don't even know if this stuff is going to work, but I believe that I'm on the right track. And that's really what um, this is about. It's bringing to light issues that we, especially a African American community, have um and sharing the story there are so many people who have come out and have said like yeah my relationship with mom kind of crap thanks for sharing you know we feel out a little handy in books um people can women can come together um whether it's individually or hopefully with their moms and we can begin to have open dialogue and conversation about some of the stuff that we go choices we go back to that conversation they make those and really decisions but it sometimes have an, has an adverse um, reaction to those who are around us. And I made decisions as an adult that affected my children. I made decisions as an adult that affected, you know, my mother as well. And she made decisions that affected me. So um, but that's really what Unchained Me Mom is about. It's just really speaking truth to power and recognizing the fact that there are some conversations we need to begin to have with our daughters and with our mothers. And I knew that in order for my daughter and I to grow and continue to have an amazing relationship, I had to at least attempt to resolve some of the issues with my own mother. 
Awesome. Awesome. It sounds like such a good read and, you know, something like you said that we don't really talk about our, our mommy issues. Um, so I think that's mm-hmm. going to be something powerful for women who have those issues. So for someone who uh, wants to get a copy of the book, someone who wants to get in contact with you for workshops or coaching, how can they reach you? So you can reach me um, on Facebook on I've got Instagram, I don't really use it. Don't reach me out on don't reach them. You can reach out to me on Facebook though. The business page is called Loving Me Empowerment. Um I'm just being honest and transparent. So like I've got the page. I'm still using Facebook called Loving Me Empowerment. Um Loving Me Empowerment dot com. The email address is admin at loving me empowerment dot com. So as long as you remember Loving Me Empowerment you can find me, but you can get the book. If you go to the website, click on the store, you can order the book from there. You can inbox me on Facebook via the business page. I said, loving me empowerment. I'm definitely open for coaching, for consulting, speaking opportunities, or whether it's just that you just want to share, um, reach out to me and let me know what you thought about what I shared today. I love to talk to people and hear what their thoughts are and how some things that I've said how it may impact them or make a difference for them. So definitely, if you remember Loving Me Empowerment, you'll find me um, online, definitely. Okay, and we will link to uh, all of that, with the exception of the Instagram. (laughs) Uh, We will link to all of that in the show notes. Yes. Um, Definitely. So I want to thank you again for coming on and sharing your story and for giving our audience uh, some great information about dealing with single motherhood and dealing with your emotions and the importance of, of having that village around you to support you not only in motherhood, but just in life. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I definitely, I loved being here. Awesome. And I want to close with this is like my favorite part of the show so I want to close with your letter to your younger self <laughs> okay it says <laughs> dear younger me which kind of made me laugh because there's actually a song with that lyric but anyway <laughs> dear younger me if you think it's been hard girl you ain't seen nothing yet I don't say that to scare you but I say it to let you know that life is not e- as easy as you've dreamed it will be but you know what through all the ups and downs you will make it through You will find yourself in situations that you never could have imagined. Things will happen to you and you'll find yourself saying, I never thought I'd stoop this low or be in this place. But through it all, remember that you will make it. As you grow, you will find yourself accomplishing some amazing things, things that you never thought you'd do and doors will be open for you. Do not be afraid to walk through them. You will have an amazing village around you Don't be afraid to use them. And above all, don't live in fear. Don't allow shame to keep you from moving forward. You are an amazing woman. And as long as you keep taking baby steps, God will get you right where he wants you. Thank you to today's special guest for joining us on this episode. And thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you have gained some nuggets of wisdom that you can take away with you into your everyday life. And if you are ready to unmask your past, overcome your pain and own your truth just as our guest has done today then visit laterawise.com and schedule your consultation today thank you for joining us and remember your true beauty lies beyond the mask